We talked about it earlier with the sort of the measuring stick that veterans do when comparing services and stuff. And I've ha I have friends who I've told to like apply and they're like, oh no, dude, I don't need it. Give it to somebody else who needs it. Right. And it's like, no, dude, like you can't compare yourself to another person and what they're going through. Like that is just not healthy and like, whether you just need a weekend to go golf with friends or your marriage is on the outs and you're battling a problem with substances, like it doesn't matter. If you feel like you want to do it, like you should do it and that's it. And so that's kind of the biggest frustration point with growing this thing is like the self-selection that veterans inherently do. I do it a bunch. Like I did it with grad school. I was like, oh no, maybe I shouldn't apply here because like I'm not qualified enough or whatever. And it's like, Go apply and let them tell you no. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Downrange podcast. That was my guest for today, Max. He's getting ready to start the first golf program for the organization called Patrol Base Abate. Patrol Base Abate, primary mission, honor the legacy of Sergeant Matthew Abate. They do this by taking select veterans, on a cost-free program back to my home state of Montana. This episode of the Downrange Podcast is sponsored by Mr. Ma Golf. Mr. Ma is a great clothing brand founded by two friends out of Austin, Texas. You can go to their website at www.mrmagolf. That's www.mrmagolf.com. To check out the new summer colorways that they have. They look great. I'm going to be sporting them all summer. We're getting ready to leave for Tour Sauce filming. Got a new fresh shipment in. And I could not be more excited to rock the new threads. You can also follow them on Instagram at Mr. Ma Golf. That's at M-R-M-A Golf. Give them a follow. And check out everything that they have coming up. As I previously mentioned in the podcast with Mason... They sponsor five adaptive athletes. A couple of them are going to be playing in the middle of July here at Pinehurst, course number six in the inaugural U.S. Adaptive Open. I'm going to be there all week with them. Could not be more excited. Hang out with the guys. Check out the first playing of this USGA championship and see how everything unfolds. Thank you so much to Mason and Matt for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you for everybody who follows them. If you have any questions for me, send me an email, send me a DM. Hello, uh, my name is Max. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area originally. I'm a Marine Corps vet, golfer, currently living in New York City. Uh, came out here for grad school after I got out of the military. Uh, and then ended up just staying. It's an awesome place to be if you've got a decent job and, and the golf around here is wonderful. So I ended up just staying after I graduated in 2019 and I've been here with, with no real plans to, plans to leave. What a world. I, it, yeah. It's funny when people talk about the city and talk about the golf, that's amazing because it's, it's something that doesn't seem to go hand in hand. And I know you got to work a little bit more if you want to get to it, but... I mean, it's golf in the Northeast. You can't beat it. So I, I've got a little public track. I play a bunch of public tracks. I'm not at the level. I don't have friends in nice places yet. So <laughs> I just have to go do public muni stuff. But there's a oldest public course in America, Van Cortland. Uh, Babe Ruth was a member. They still have the lockers up from Mo, Larry, and Curly in the clubhouse. And I know some folks who can get me some cheap tea times there. And... I've spent a bunch of time there and uh, yeah. And so there, there is some good golf. And, and after I graduated from grad school, I kind of worked in golf a little bit, but yeah, it's a good place. And Beth page is right around the corner. Right. Where'd you go to grad school at? Uh, I went to Columbia. I got my master's in sports management. So I got out <laughs> of the Marine Corps thinking I was like three weeks from EAS and my application hadn't, I hadn't gotten a yes or no yet, but I was kind of at the point where like, all right, well, we need to make a change. And two weeks before, they said, all right, you got in. And I was like, all right, we're going to go be a GM for a sports franchise or something. Like, this is going to be awesome. And I ended up getting there. 
sports management, not for me. Like, just working in sports is not what I thought it was. I mean, admittedly, I did not do enough research into the market before I made the leap. And so I'm finding everything out as I'm there. And it's just, you know, it's hyper competitive. It's low pay. They preach like team first family stuff. And it's like, dude, if I wanted to be low paid and like be a part of a community, I'd, I'd go back and join the military. Exactly. Like, I, I got out to make money. And right. so... I ended up dropping the sports off my resume, so I just have a master's in management from Columbia. <laughs> Little workaround. I'm not lying. I'm just like tactfully admitting. Yeah. Yeah. Now I do su- uh, supply chain consulting uh, for a uh, consulting firm. That's awesome. So when what years were you at Columbia getting your master's? I was there 2018 and 2019. Okay. Uh, and basically immediately after I got out of the Marine Corps, I had like a seven month gap where I worked at Kapalua, uh, the golf course in, in Hawaii. I played probably like $4,000 worth of golf in the span of a month because I was a marshal like 12 hours a week. Were you based in Hawaii at the time or how'd you end no. up there? So I was based in Camp Pendleton my whole okay. career. I just got out of the Marine Corps. I had a buddy who was living in Hawaii. He said, dude, come out. And I said, all right. Yeah, yeah why got, not? I got seven months to kill. So I'm on Craigslist looking up jobs and, and whatnot. And one of these like cart marshal uh, jobs came up for a resort. And I was like, let's do this. And so I walked into the interview. I said, hey, look, admittedly, I'm waiting on grad school right now. If that happens, I'm probably going to have to leave. But I'm here on the island. Would love to work. And they got me a job as a, as a cart marshal. So I, I bopped around Kapalua, the bay course, for a month and got to play whenever there weren't uh, guests in line. That's amazing. Yeah, I have so many different follow-ups that we can dive into. But I think most importantly here, thank you for your service. How many years did you end up doing in the Marine Corps? I did five years, uh, all in an an infantry platoon. Mm -hmm. I I did my first deployment with a line platoon, and then I tried out for this – Tried out, yeah, for the sniper platoon, and then did my last two deployments uh, as as a scout sniper uh, with Third Battalion, Fifth Marines. Get some. So all the great lessons that you learned as a, a solid young Marine, you took them straight to the golf course, and you were probably just beating down people who were behind on pace of play out there, spending a thousand dollars around, and you're up their ass. Uh, so funny story about that, you know, as a, there was one hole, I think it was like 15 or 16, but it's cart path only. And this dude is, and I'm sitting on top of the green cause it, you can kind of see the whole fairway as it looks down. Perfect vi- vantage position just, for you. hundred <laughs> percent overwatch position. We're dialed in dude. Anybody that messes around is going to get the business from me. So this dude just comes bombing down the fairway and he's got like the handicap flag up. And I was like, sir, you, you know, you can't like just drive onto the green. And he was like, I have the flag. And I, I said, I, that's cool, man. But like, you can't drive on the green. Like, it's just not right. okay. I ended up getting my ass chewed out by my supervisor for like telling this dude that he couldn't drive on the green. Like, what do you want me to do out there? I guess I'll just take naps all day if I'm not allowed to like maintain pace of play. I know. Where do you expect, like, he's just parking on the aprons of, of every service? Yeah. Yeah, just whipping up, and I'm like, guy, like you got to be better. You know what I mean? At least just don't do it when I'm here. What a world! I'm like super into the uh, the like adaptive golf, uh, and like tons of my buddies that I play with are missing limbs, missing eyes. You know, it doesn't matter if it's legs or arms, and they're out there like most of them walking like completely free normal round of golf and then you roll up roll up somewhere else and you see people who are just taking complete advantage of it you're like uh, that doesn't make any sense yeah and like i just saw you walk like you have no (laughs) visible limp or you're not missing an appendage it's like you probably just need to lose 30 pounds and like get mobile you know what i mean but hey their money still spends the same ways that ours does so besides my paycheck you know what i mean True. Very true. All right. Well, take me all the way back to San Francisco. What was, what was young Max like growing up? Young Max. Young Max was, so I grew up, mom and dad, separate households. My folks were never married. I think it was a super unique relationship that they had. They were really good friends. And so my mom got married in 20, 2002. My dad was at the wedding and like great family. My parents did the co-parenting thing before like 
co-parenting was a word. And I think they crushed it. And so I grew up in the Bay. I played sports. I had severe sports ADD. Like I never stuck with anything for probably more than a year or two, right? My parents would send me to a camp. I'd play the following season and be like, all right, I'm done. Like all the lacrosse gear just piled up in the, in the garage, like hockey, hockey skates, uh, sticks, played football, got hit in the face. They put me on the line and I was like, dude, I'm five foot, 90 pounds soaking wet. And you're putting me on the <laughs> offensive line. Like, sorry, I was nervous running the drills and I couldn't catch anything, but like, right. this is not it. And so that didn't happen. And, and I eventually stuck with volleyball. So, um, I played volleyball year round in high school. I uh, went to junior Olympics three years, um, went down to Santa Barbara city college, played for a year and a half there. And then, yeah, and then kind of realized I needed to make a change. Santa Barbara is sort of a party forward environment. And I was like, I might not graduate, let alone survive if I stay here. So I made the move to Boston, uh, finished my degree in Boston. And then at that point, it was kind of like a little, I felt rudderless. I kind of felt a little directionless. Like I was working at a day spa when I graduated, like picking up phones, exhale back bay. This is Max. Like, hey, man, do you need a Brazilian or like a bikini? You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> what am I doing? And, and at that point, you know, my third, my junior year, year before I graduated, I ran into this guy on the GI Bill, um, buddy named Ryan Walsh. Uh, we studied abroad together. We ended up getting really close. And he had been blown up in Afghanistan. He was in Sangin. He was in 7th Marines, missing a finger, had a couple golf ball size holes in his shins, like getting his hip replaced in a year or two. And just the way he talked about the Marine Corps, it was like, even with all of these things happening right now, I would still go back and do this like seven days out of seven days without hesitation. Like, sign me up. And so I was like, dude, I could use a little bit of that in my life. And so I applied for the officer program. At the, at, the, at the time, did you think of military yeah. at all? Was it in the cards? No, no. And so, I mean, admittedly, like growing, I, I went to high school 2003 to 2007, like Iraq was cranking, you know, I go to college down in Santa Barbara and Afghanistan is just popping off and it, it just wasn't a thought. Like I just hadn't thought about it. You know, and it's funny because I go, I went home a couple weeks ago and my mom keeps newspapers from all of my birthdays and i was looking at newspapers right and there was one from like 2004 and you just see dudes jocked up like t they're talking about the invasion of fallujah and it's like wow and i i mean i'm getting kind of goosebumps right now right yeah, understanding yeah. the significance of that but i really didn't grasp any of that until i got into the marine corps really you know i had that one influence ryan i had another friend who's a sark Special Amphibious and Reconnaissance Corpsman, I think. Yep. Uh, but, yeah. And and so, yeah. And so those were really only my two touch points with the military. And, and I was like, all right, cool, man. Like, let's do this. I did a Go Ruck challenge and thought I was all big and bad. And I was like, let's sign <laughs> up. <laughs> like, fuck it. Send it. We're doing this. I knocked yeah, out this ruck. Sad. We're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> I stayed up for 18 hours with some weight on my back. Like, I'm ready to do this. <laughs> okay. Well, these are good. And at the time, yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, they, they seem like kind of silly life decisions, but it obviously worked out for you. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was the best decision I made. Yeah, like, hands down, up until this point in my life, like, the military was the best thing for me. I think there was a lot of toxic shit that came out of the military for me that, like, for sure. internally I had, that I had to address, and that I, that PB Abate, and we'll, I get, we'll obviously get to that, but they helped me address it, and... I can look back now on my service and like love it, right? Like just love it and love what it's given me. And now that I have, what is it? Four years of perspective on that experience. I think I feel like I've grown even more from my time in the military just in the last two years, being able to look back on my experience and understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. And, and you know, the friendships I made and bonds and like the work I did, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So when you first start out, I mean, kind of talk me through the process of you getting into the core. Because I know that there's, from, from my perspective, you have to understand this is, this is coming from an Army side of it. My wife was yeah. in the Air Force, so we, I, I tend to think that I have a more holistic life. And I've worked with a ton of Marines. 
did deployments with Marines, had Marines in my unit. I was in a joint unit for a very long time. So I get it. But I think the funniest thing and their stories about like brand new guy stuff are, are the best. So if there's anything oh, that you God. could tell the listeners, if people are out there interested in joining the Marine Corps, you want to get them motiv- motivated, fired up about something, this is your time. You're the recruiter now. So what, what oh. good stories would you tell them? Ah, so I'll start with a funny story and this might not be a good one. Like this might be dismissive (laughs) for some people, but I think it's just, it's one of those things that I would say you have to enlist in order to understand the levity in the moment. And it's like, it's a dumb boot camp story. And I've got a couple other from like my boot deployment and my follow on deployments, but this one is like one that resonates. And it's like, basically you in boot camp, like you don't do anything yourself. You get told to do everything. And so a lot of people, when they're going into boot camp, they're expecting this like really challenging and difficult experience. And maybe it was me as being like 24 and like kind of having a little life experience under my belt. But I was like, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. I literally don't have to think like I literally just stand here and get told what to do. You mean mean somebody's telling me exactly what to do, when to do and how to do it. And if I do that, I'm going to be rewarded for it. Like, okay, sounds pretty good. Like it's easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy. And so one of the things it was like, we spent, it was probably 45 minutes getting undressed for bed. Like you get dressed and undressed by the numbers. Right. And so they're like, take your shirt off five, four, three, two, one. All right, cool. Uh, take your pants off five, four, three, two, one. All right, cool. And it's like, if somebody messed up, they're like, all right, put your pants back on five, four, three, two, one put your shirt back on five, four, three, two, one, whatever. And so we did that for 45 minutes. And that whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, where the fuck are the dragons? Like, when are we going to get out in the woods? Like I'm sitting here taking shirts off and like pop locking and dropping on the parade deck with rifles. Like, when do we get to start getting into the woods and stuff? And so that was like the biggest thing for me. It was just realizing that boot camp was just this shaping event of getting you prepared to take a hill or whatever and yep. doing it without thinking about it. Right. And so I got through boot camp, and, you know, I get to the fleet and immediately because I had a degree, I was already sort of, I like, I just was given more leniency with what I did and allowed a little more autonomy as much as, uh, but I, like, would li- I would like to say that everyone's treated like an adult. That's not necessarily the case. You definitely have absolutely. to earn uh, the ability to act and think on your own. So coming in a little bit older, a little bit more maturity under your belt definitely does set you up for success. So I can see and understand what you're talking about. Real quick for the people out there who don't have a clue about Marine or Naval terms, what do you mean by the fleet? So the fleet is where Marines go who are ready to be deployed. So when something happens, Fleet Marine Force, FMF, sends Marines to go do whatever it is, whether it's humanitarian response, uh, invading Afghanistan in 2001, whatever it is. The fleet is that all-encompassing kind of deployable asset of the Marine Corps. Um, Very good. And... It's, I, I think it's called the fleet because back in the day, uh, Marines were stationed on naval ships. Like originally, a Marine, the Marine Corps was stood up to be the infantry unit for the Navy. Like when you think about Jack Sparrow and latching freaking hooks onto ships and boarding parties and stuff, like those were Marines. Uh, intent, like the intention, that was the intention for the Marine Corps. And so I think that's why they call it the fleet because we ride around on Navy ships and we do all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's the fleet. What still is a part of the Marine Corps, just the amphibious side of it. But, yeah, very much. So, as a new guy at the fleet, you're treated a little bit better. Anything else that kind of surprised you or lessons that you picked up along the way? Uh, yeah, one is that, you know, you, you, you can do everything right and still get punished. And something could still go <laughs> wrong. And it's just... It, And I think it's kind of like one of those resiliency things where it's just like, all right, man, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to be as prepared as possible and I'm going to hope for the best. But honestly, the worst is probably going to happen and going to have to flex and adapt. And as a boot, as like a new Marine, that's like pretty evident, right? Because I I could be squared away like 
everything it looks right and you know I've got all my knowledge down and you know I'm a functioning member of a team but if one of my private first class brethren who's 18 years old and this is his first time away from home and now he's getting a paycheck for the first time if he shows up late to work on Monday well now I'm getting thrashed too because he failed to show up and so it's like I can do the best I can and I just got to be okay with like whatever shit gets thrown at me and being able to adapt to it yeah it's funny too uh, trying to think about and put myself in your in your shoes for a little bit here like probably your your corporal whoever's in charge of you is probably either younger yeah. than or your same age. Younger. So my corporal right. was 21, I think. I was like 24, 25. And we got into a fight on deployment. I was just like, you're not going to talk to me like this. Like, I'm a grown man. Like, you're just not. And, yeah, so we hashed it out. I, we're cool now. We talk how, occasionally. But How long yeah. did it take you from getting done with boot to going to the fleet to being deployed? Probably a year. Okay. So in, in that time, you're adjusting to new life at Pendleton. You're doing initial training. Then you're moving in, mm -hmm. you know, probably into your guys' pre-deployment workout. So a lot of I got the badass stuff. haircut. Yes, of course. New stuff being thrown at you. You, you just learned how to be like a new... Uh, a new man, which is this Marine, and now they're throwing a whole bunch of different tactics and shit at you. Yeah. Drinking from a fire hose, trying to understand this shit, because I don't know about you, but for me, it never really clicked. Like, yo, we're, like, actually going to war until it was, like, too late. I was already boots on the ground in a firefight being like, oh, shit, like, this this is real. It never, at, at, it never clicked for me leading up to that first deployment. Yeah, it was... It was challenging for me, and I, I should highlight, like, I I never combat deployed. I did three MU deployments um, through my career. I kind of, I, I jokingly say, like, I missed the boat, right? Like, I signed up at 24, and I missed, I, missed Iraq, I missed Iraq after high school. I missed Afghanistan right out, like, during college. Like, it is what it is, and I mean, so, kind of So the MU ahead, being but, a, a marine yeah. expeditionary unit, correct? Yep. yep. Oh, and Man, so I, I learned so good on this stuff. So what did you do your first me rotation? Yeah. So first me rotation, we went to Okinawa. Um, it was the 31st Mew. And what that what means is, yeah, I mean, I, well, some people loved it. I <laughs> was just like, I'm going to go to the gym, play Xbox and like stay on base. I mean, the weird thing about Okinawa is like, they don't really like Marines. Like we've occupied that place since what was it like 1950 or the late 40s or whatever yep and we basically said we're staying we're gonna build a base here and we're staying and it's like okay cool um and then you have again dumb 18 year olds 19 year olds and even staff sergeants like staff ncos were honestly probably worse than the pfc exactly the ones who, who got a little bit more again, money who think they have a little bit more say and, and can get away with a lot more stuff yeah, and so, you know, there's just it's there's just not a good relationship between the locals and, and the Marines here. So I didn't really go out because, A, I was limited as a Lance Corporal. Like, I got to be back by 11 p.m. or whatever. There's no public transportation. It's like, I'm just going to work out and play Xbox and watch movies, whatever. And then, you know, we would go do training. And then we would hop on a boat, and we hopped on a ship, and went around the Pacific. And for those that don't know what that entails, it means we get on a boat and we're the force in readiness for the region. So if something happens, like I think there was a, a tsunami in Indonesia in 2013 that Marines actually deployed to because they were in the region. They went and provided humanitarian assistance. The first Marines on the ground in Afghanistan were part of, I think it was like the 10th Mew or the 11th Mew. And it's like, you're literally just a QRF force. So you're on this boat, you're floating around the ocean, waiting for some shit to pop off yep and so you got to stay busy you got to train you got to keep the knife as sharp as you can while you're on this basically half of a cruise ship with three thousand people like i was stacked up three high fuck six deep and just no space but they're bad they're bad hey, listen it's, i i've been in those i've been in those bunks i understand it i, I don't know if you've heard uh when i told my muse story before but so i was in uh 
on a boat a couple different times, but one time I spent 27 days. Thankfully, that's all I had to do, which I know is chump yeah. change. But I also know a lot of Navy people uh, who haven't done, like, any ship time. So, you know, you can, you yeah. can take that for what it is. Anyway, the, the happiest day that I've ever seen the Mew in real life is the day that we ask them, hey, guys, like, you got to get off the boat because we got to take the boat over. And they're like, oh, yeah, thank you. Like, so we'll, we'll just go to, go, to, go to shore here for a couple of weeks and uh, chill and actually be able to do some training. But yeah. underground, well, I guess not underground, but underneath the ship, all the different levels, the lower V, the upper V, all that stuff where all your guys' gear in, is stored at, where you have mechanics and artillery men and everybody else who just seems to run around this massive, massive boat. When they finally show their faces at the end of the day and they come up completely covered in grease and you like look at them and you're like, like what have you guys been doing down there? It, it like blew my mind because I'm like, these are, yeah. these are creatures that like have, are just doing their jobs and like have, have no clue what they're doing. It's unbelievable. It is pretty wild. Just how much is going on in such a small space. And it's like such organized chaos, which is like the definition of the military, yep. right? Like just controlling chaos and Muse, I think, and I don't have any other perspective beyond that, but I think Muse are like a wonderful sort of micro view of like the larger sort of skill set of the military to everybody's got their own little job that is really, really important in their own little space. And it just makes this whole thing move towards the, the common. Place. Right. I've never seen sadder Marines than I think the one day that we were on with them and commissary was restocked and there was just hundreds of people in line all single file snaking around this entire ship and when somebody yelled out that smokes were out and dip was out yeah. the look on everybody's yeah. face of just like pure sadness because they had they had nothing else they were like that's that's all we've been waiting for five hours in line for, and you're telling me that it's out already because all the officers just walk past them and, and cut them online. I was like, what a, what a world, man. And the Navy guys, like, withhold 70% of it. Like, Marines would run out of dip, and we'd still see Navy guys just packing hammers and smoking cigarettes, yep. and it's like, where are you getting this? And it's like, oh, I get it. But learning point for my second and third view, I went on ship with about $500 worth of logs. <laughs> And I, I mean, once the dip rolls up, runs out, dude, I was selling cans for like 20 bucks. Of course. Good and for you. That's probably, did you, I'm sure you put that on your, uh, your little letter into Columbia to get into, to the. Yeah. It's like, project. I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, what did you learn on the, on the first trip? Really about being in a team. Like I had played team sports my whole life and there's just something different about, training to go into a room with 12 other humans with live ammunition and really making sure that y'all are on the same page. Like, what are we doing when we get in here? What are the priorities of work? Like who's doing what, how are we going in? Like how do people move throughout this place? And, um, just a really eye opening experience for me. And then what I then learned is that it doesn't matter how much I learned, and this is reinforced on every subsequent deployment. Like, you're always a boot to somebody, and there's always some more things that you, more shit you can learn. Oh, yeah. The learning does not end. Like, and if you think it ends, you're liable to get someone really fucked up or killed. That was kind of the big takeaway from my first deployment was like, just sponge, just sponge it all up and like get as much as you can. And, Luckily, I was assigned to the Maritime Raid Force, so we were, we were attached to the, the Force Recon Platoon, um, and so just being around them and able to pick their brains and, like, how they do things, because a lot of those guys were more senior guys, like sergeants, staff sergeants, whatever, and, you know, me being a PFC Lance Corporal, being able to talk shop with these guys about how they're doing what they're doing, like, that is valuable. Like, it's... And I kind of came in during a time when... My seniors were non-combat deployments, and their seniors were the Sangin vets from 2010, the 3-5 Sangin push, which was like a 
big, big push for 3-5. Right. And so you kind of lose unintentionally that institutional knowledge as those guys, as those Sangin vets kind of phase out, right? And now it gets into the non-combat guys. And like, while there's still valuable stuff to be learned, like there's certainly something to be said for like institutional knowledge for war fighting. And the Force Recon guys have it, right? Like they were all pretty senior dudes. They'd all done things. And um, it was great just to see really importantly how they approach problems. Like, like what is your mindset for attacking a problem? Like whatever that problem is, like, how are you thinking about this? How are you exactly like setting yourself up? How do you, how do you pre-plan this? Like, how did you have the foresight to understand, to pack whatever it is in order to breach this obstacle? Like, what are you thinking? So I thought that was just the coolest thing ever, right? Because, you know, this whole first year I'm just drinking through a fire hose in the fleet. And then I get to this deployment and I'm then drinking through the fire hose again, as far as amphibious operations go. And it's just, you know, it was a lot. It was cool. And that kind of set me up for my desire to go join the sniper platoon, right? Like I saw the snipers on deployment kind of doing their own thing, being very autonomous, which really appealed to me. Like getting in formation and holding your rifle up and like counting off one, two, three, four. Like, dude, miss me with all that shit. <laughs> but, um, and, and like you see snipers rolling through and like, you know, they're, they're really autonomous. They're five dudes and they report pretty much to either the company commander or the battalion commander. And I was like, that's where I want to be. Like, I want to be with those guys. I want to be, I want to help shape operations. You know what I mean? Like the grunt, the door kicker, the ground pounder, like that is important. We, you can never have enough of them, but I, I felt like I wanted to do more. I wanted more of an impact. So that's kind of what led the decision to go try out for the sniper platoon. So what is the process like to move over? It's kind of political, or it was at least. I don't know what it is now. There, There's a lot of, I don't really keep up with how it is now, but when I was doing it in 2015, it was basically you just go try it out. You have to get approval from your command in order to miss like three days of work to go to their screener. Um, and and then, yeah, you go to, a, go to a screener, you don't sleep, you move a lot, you solve problems, and you display basic infantry skills. Um, and then at the end of those three days, they've got a set of selection criteria that you either met or you didn't meet, and then you're invited to the platoon. Um, and so that process is kind of, uh, it's a friction point in the fleet, right? Because all the, all the really smart guys, all the smart guys, not all of them, like a lot of guys like being squad leaders and much respect, but there are those in the infantry that, you know, want to feel like they're making more of an impact. And that largely depletes line companies of top end talent, you know. And so there is this push between company commanders and the sniper platoon like, hey, Sergeant so-and-so wants to come try out or Corporal so-and-so wants to come try out or Lance Corporal so-and-so wants to come try out. It's like, well, we're tapping him to be a team leader. Oh, well, we're tapping him to be a squad leader. Like, sorry, can't do it. And so you really kind of, you got to fight in order to go do it. And yeah. Yeah, it is. It's weird. I think the Marine Corps, number one, the best thing about it is that it's pride and in its history and lineage. I think one of the yes. ultimate downfalls for them could be its pride in its history and lineage. Yes. Because that is like everything... Everything that they do, everything that they stand for is the way that it used to be. The way that it used to be sometimes now does not include any sort of modern tactics, procedures, or structures for modern infantry units. And the, the, way that it, it's yeah. the way that things need to be, whether on land or by water. And I think the Marine Corps has a hard time grappling with that. And if you have somebody who is you know, the commandant on down who is very, you know, it, it, it's like they, even if they come up on the MARSOC or on, you know, uh, where a reconnaissance guy, as soon as they get to a certain level or, or echelon, it's like they forget all that and they're like, somebody zonks them again and they're like, no, you're back to the way of, you know, World War One and World War Two Marines are. You're like, well, what, what happened to the progress here, guys? Yeah, and it's interesting. I don't keep... I, I am not a subject matter expert in this. I just have my opinions, but I think based on, you know, friends that are still in, 
And I think the Marine Corps is doing a good job right now of pivoting and modernizing and listening to outside voices. I mean, P.B. Abate, the founder of that, Tom Schumann, uh, Major Schumann, uh, is, was invited to this summit with, I think, I don't know who it was. It was a very high-ranking officer in the Marine Corps, but with a bunch of other personalities, basically from Instagram, like Constellation Group, um, there's P.B. Abate, basically forward-thinking warfighters, and he wanted to gather their opinions. And so I think, you know, with the Force Design 2030 and, you know, seeking outside opinions, I think the Marine Corps is understanding that they do have this, like, clinging to tradition fault that is very toxic and, and at least from the outside looking in, it, it appears as though they're trying to make strides and, and improve that culture and shape a better path forward. So it's good. I mean, just outside really looking in, I'm optimistic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you finally got to sniper section. Where were your next, mm-hmm. I mean, those two other Mew rotations, what, what were you doing? Yeah, so the Bolt to Japan, one was just a UDP, which is a unit deployment program. I believe there's something, and I, not confirmed, there's something about permanent infantry personnel not being allowed to be stationed in Okinawa. And so I think they circumnavigate that problem by having a UDP program, so a rotating cast of infantry battalions that effectively make up an entire um regiment out there uh and so i did that my second deployment that was a good time we we did a ton of training we went to mainland japan we worked with the japanese marines we got to work with japanese snipers we got some good time off in tokyo which probably most fun city to spend new year's in i've ever done in my life of course and yeah and so that was a that was a good time and and i was working with an incredible group of guys we honestly felt that like we're ready for this. Like something go down. Like let's go do this, right? Like we, I, I felt the most confident in the people around me and my abilities m- more than any point in my Marine Corps career. And, uh, and yeah, and so that was a good one. And I, I really understood. I learned from that one the value of like small unit leadership and owning everything that you can touch and not worrying about things that are outside your control. I had some rock star NCOs that really insulated us from the chain of command that allowed us to kind of go do our own thing. And we did it in a super professional manner because our NCOs were just hyper locked in and organized and knowledgeable. And it was an awesome deployment. Great group of people. I still keep in touch with a couple of them. Awesome. The, and then third, third deployment, I was a team leader at that point, and that one, I've learned more about retrospectively in the four years that I've been out than I kind of did while I was in. I got to a point in the Marine Corps where I was like, fuck all this. Like, I hate you. Yeah. Like, I, I really let external factors affect how I carried myself, and I'm embarrassed about that, and I've acknowledged that with those that were in my team, and and talked about it and yeah and so it's one of those things where like I did not do as good of a job as I could have and I will 100% own that and I've learned from it and I think I'm a better person now with that separation and understanding kind of where I went wrong and and all of that but that third deployment we went to Australia we went to the Philippines I got food poisoning I lost like 25 pounds in two days it was probably the worst experience of my life but also just a ton of training, just good stuff, and, and yeah. So when did you make the decision that, that this was going to be it, that you're going to start transitioning, looking what the next chapter of your life is going to be? Probably, and this is another thing that like, I identified that was wrong, like maybe two months before the deployment ended, right? Like I kind of took my eyes off like where we're at right now and being focused like right here and instead sort of shifted a focus and attention to what's next. And, you know, I was looking at the aviation program with the Marine Corps going the officer route, flying planes. I was looking at grad school and I just reached a point where it was just like, uh, leadership here. If, you know, I, if I get to a new unit, there's just going to be another poor leader there. Right. And that's partly a reflection of me. Like how do I interact with this person to, 
you know, like create some common ground and like, how do I be a better follower to this leader? You know what I mean? It's not necessarily like just point the finger and it's like, it's all your fault. It's one of those things that were retroactively, I was like, I just need it. I need to break free from this toxic cycle at the moment. Was it a good transition or things that you struggled with? It was a good, tra- I think I pushed a lot of things out. I immediately just like jettisoned a lot of the feeling, the good feelings about the Marine Corps um, in my service. I just, I was like, fuck this. I'm, I'm getting as far away from this place as possible. And it was good. I, I didn't do anything like toxic. Like I, I didn't hit the bottle hard. I, I wasn't, you know, neglectful to my family. Nothing like that. It was just more internal. I wasn't acknowledging all the positive and wonderful things that the Marine Corps gave me um, and allowing that to help shape sort of future courses of action. I really was just like, this last year and a half has been terrible and I just need to like not think about it. And then just turned into like, not thinking about my experience as a whole and, and yeah. And so I transitioned, I did seven months, I got, I had seven months. I went to Vietnam, I went to Hawaii, I, I did some weddings, I traveled, I sort of got freedom back and, and bopped around and it was great. And, um, and yeah, and, and kind of, again, sort of retrospect, retroactively looking at it, like missing that community and the tribe and the purpose, right. And trying to fill that in and not realizing I didn't realize I was missing it, but like sitting where I am now, just understanding some of the decisions I was making was probably a byproduct of me not acknowledging and embracing kind of the community and the tribe and the lessons learned from my experience and and shaping the way forward. Yeah. I think this is a good time, I guess. Let's, let's talk about what patrol base Abate is, who it's, it's named after the, the originator and, and kind of your involvement in it. Yeah. So patrol base Abate, I found on Instagram last year before their first set of retreats. And it's this, um, organization end of the day, it's, it's made to prevent veteran suicide. And it does this by providing community and purpose. I mean, they're just Google suicide prevention and the top two hits are like provide community to people and provide purpose to people. And you'll see suicide rates drop dramatically. And patrol base Abate does this through local based chapters and interest groups. And the interest groups is what drew me to it. Because like I said earlier, I wanted to disconnect from the military and even when in the military, like, I didn't like 90% of the people I fucking worked with, right? Like just because we're in the military doesn't mean we're friends. Right. And what I found was like, you know, you go to parties and your parents are like, or friends are like, oh, this guy was in the Navy. And it's like, cool, dude. Like, all right, man. And experiences are different, right? Like yours and my experience, two totally different things. And we might not have a single thing to talk about and shared lens of like our service right and so patrol base abate is just very important because it's got these interest-based groups like you and i are golfers and we can come together and talk about golf and play golf and just be bad at golf well i mean you're like a two handicap so you're much better at golf than i am but we can we have this shared interest and now we can take this shared interest and we can apply our lens of service to it right which then gives us both a common point of like understanding and like, yeah. And just, and just sharing in that community and that tribe, because you know, the, the bond is very real, regardless of what you did, like whether you were an admin clerk, you know, an intelligence dude in in the army or, you know, like a scout sniper in the Marine Corps or a pilot, it doesn't matter. You served and you feel these bonds, like the interest groups just are a way to like share those bonds with other people. If that makes sense. Yeah. So where's the, the tie-in and why is it out of Thompson Falls, Montana? Yeah, so it's out of Thompson Falls, Montana. One of the guys, Tom's radio operator, John Torres, has 300 acres of property up in Thompson Falls. He found out Tom was doing this and he said, come up here. Like, let's just do it up here. And 
So that's kind of how it originated. Yeah. And then kind of circling back, where does it get the name from? Matt Abate was a scout sniper in 3-5. So part of the allure when I saw this, I was like, oh, shit, Matt Abate. Like, this dude's a legend. Like, I came, what was it, five years after him, and people are still telling stories about him. Go look up his, his Navy Cross citation. It's, I mean, the dude is a modern-day Achilles. Like, and the honor grad now at the West Coast Sniper School is uh, named after, it's the Matt Abate um, honor graduate at, at sniper school. So he's a legend and he was Tom's, uh, scout sniper team leader, section leader in Afghanistan in 2010. Um, and so Matt and Tom had a great relationship. They were super close. Um, and, and Tom wanted to start an organization in his honor because he really felt like if you were in Matt's present presence, like you felt like you belonged. It didn't matter who you were, like whether you were a PFC who had just gotten to the fleet with a shaved head or you were, you know, master guns of an infantry battalion with 25 years of experience. Like Matt made everybody feel like part of the gang and he wants that to resonate with PB Abate. Like if you've served, you've got a seat at the table and you're welcome here, which brings up kind of like the organization as a whole. Tom noticed, you know, he had some veterans commit, some of his Marines commit suicide in like a really short span of time. And so he did some research and he was like, what's the issue here? And there's a lot of boxes to check to get support once you're out, whether they, you're a combat veteran, non-combat veteran, Army, Navy, whatever, whatever you did, like Purple Heart, you have to check boxes and, and seeking help becomes harder and harder with, all, with the more boxes. And there's research out there that it's like non-deployed veterans are 50% more likely to commit suicide than combat veterans. And while there are great steps being taken, great first push, right? Like Wounded Warrior Foundation, um, the Green Beret Foundation, Navy SEAL, Travis Mannion, all of that fucking awesome first steps, but the VA doesn't have any followed on or continued actions to reach those veterans that can't check those boxes. And so Tom wanted to create this organization where it's like, look, the only box you got to check is service. If you've served, you're welcome, like come. And what are, what these other organizations are doing are awesome. Let's work with you too. Let's amplify, let's support, let's Let's reach everybody because at the end of the day, like we all need community and we all need purpose. And that's how this organization provides it. And it's got some great clubs. Like I got involved through the book club. Like I read about this thing online. I applied for the book club, had reading a goddamn book in like a year and a half. And <laughs> they accepted me and gave me a book to read. We ended up reading the last platoon by Bing West. Um, I showed up to a couple of the uh, monthly meetings after the retreat, but I show up to Montana not knowing anyone. And just the feeling we I got, like the nervous energy, like by day two, we were all best friends. And the, and the cool thing about it, it was like, there is no, well, what did you do? Oh, I was in the Marine Corps. Like, oh, I was in the Army. What deployments did you go on? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but like when veterans meet, we have a tendency to kind of like, what did you do? Yep. So tell me what you did, like as a, as kind of a measuring stick, like a exactly. subconscious measuring stick. And that doesn't happen. Like I, I, since I've gotten to PB Abate, like it's been a process, but it's just like, Oh, you serve cool, dude. Tell me about you. Like, what do you like doing? Um, and so I get up there for the book club retreat and we spend four days over the 4th of July weekend, like talking about books, getting outside and sitting around a campfire. Right. And like, I think the best experiences happen around a campfire when you can just sit there and talk and PB Abate has got like some structure to it. So the campfire discussions are semi guided for the first part. We talk about community, we talk about purpose and we talk about like a sense of honor or legacy. Like who do, whose legacy do we want to honor and like, how can we honor them? And, and at the end of the trip, we all fill a sandbag for this person's legacy that we choose to honor. And they don't have to be passed away. Like that was a cool moment for me when everybody was filling sandbags. Like I don't have any friends that have passed. Like, what do I do? And he was like, dude, it's for whoever you want to honor. Like it doesn't have to yeah. be that way. 
Right. It doesn't have to be like you had to have served in, in a combat zone. And, right. and I think that's the really beautiful thing about the organization is that just everybody is welcome. And so I got done with book club and I was like, all right, well, I really like book clubs, but what else do I like doing? I was like, I like playing beach volleyball and I love golf. And I was like, golf is easy. Like I could do this. I can make an email account and start spreading out a newsletter and, and like playing golf with veterans. Like let's spend four hours in the golf cart and get to know each other, man. Like ah, there's not a more intimate experience besides a campfire than spending four hours playing a dog shit round when you are just playing so bad right. and spending that time with another human. Like you learn a lot about people through golf. And, and, and so I was like, let's do this with the golf club. And so I talked to Tom, he was like green light cleared hot and, and I did it. And it started with this company in New York that I worked for right at through to and through grad school uh, called Five Iron Golf. It's like this indoor golf simulator company and they're trying to make golf more accessible for everyone, right? And so they've got TrackMan Sim set up. You go in there, they've got couches, beers, food, and, and you hit balls, you can play St. Andrews and you can have someone bringing you beers and it's just great vibe. Like they've got, I think it's now like 15 locations across the country just blowing up. And so being at the ground floor of that, I knew some people and I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to bring some veterans into golf and like reconnect. And they were like, yes, absolutely. And so they were super supportive and giving us free league teams. And, you know, I'm working with them and, and they're helping out, like providing free sim time to PB Abate and, and helping organize events there. And that's where it started. And then the retreat schedule came out, right? And so they've got book club going up, strength club, fight club. And I was like, hey, there's some golf courses up there. Can we can we go get some rounds in? And uh, they're like, yeah, man, just here, here's the here's the planning guide. Like put together a plan, submit it, and uh, we'll see what's happening. And so I did. I spent like a week calling golf courses and, and putting together an itinerary, reaching out to folks. I mean, the reach out has been continuous for like the last two months. I didn't realize like how how much effort it takes to collaborate with companies and and mainly like from a selfish like it's easy as a veteran to come in and say hey here come support veterans right like give us free shit the hard thing is being like how can i add value like how can i pay you back because you are doing a great thing for us and that's been the big challenge for me that i'm still working through and like trying to address but thankfully i've been working with some great people like callaway golf has donated balls Hats, towels, Red Vanley donated polos, True Linkswear gave everybody going shoes. Like we've got these awesome care packages coming out and it's so awesome to see because like, A, it grows the game. Like we've got two guys that don't even own clubs that are coming out. That's awesome. And so we're sourcing them clubs and we're going to get them on the course and we're playing four rounds. We're hopefully set them up with a handicap. Like it, it it's great. Like not only are we engaging veterans who do golf but like we're grow i i am growing the we are growing the game of golf and that's so exciting um to be a part of so the golf co program is going to come up on july 21st through the 25th just like you said where are you guys uh yep july 21st where are you guys playing at what, what's kind of the run schedule so we get in because it's in missoula montana everybody has to take four different connecting flights in order to get there <laughs> pretty awesome but we're all getting in, so we, we have coordinated the flights. Everybody lands, same day, same-ish time. It's about an hour and a half drive from the airport to the PB. So first day is just kind of, let's get settled, we'll have dinner, we'll sit around the campfire, we'll give you, like, the intro brief, like, here, this is what we're about, like, here's the intention for the weekend, and then also sort of like a feedback loop of, like, what do you guys want out of the weekend, right? Like, this is my intention, this is what I want, but more importantly, like, this is our club. This is our tribe. Like, what do you want out of it? And so we can tailor it sort of based on that. And then the next three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, we're golfing. So the first two days, kind of like little nine hole tracks, 30 minutes from the PB. Um, we're just going to loop those twice and, and do that, jump in the river, go hiking, um, we've got yoga and I rest planned as, as part of like the pillars of the program is like this mindfulness state. And so we'll tailor that to each person as they come up and like their capabilities and limitations. But 
that's pretty much the gist of that. And then the last day, we're gonna we're gonna haul about hour and forty five to um, Whitefish Lake Golf, uh, this gorgeous eighteen hole track just south south of uh, Glacier Park. And so they've been awesome in, in helping us set this up. And we're gonna get what is it? 15 veterans. We're flying 15 veterans out to play golf, hike, camp, and just like reconnect. And it's all free. Like there's no barriers to entry for this program. Like it's just, have you served? If yes, or you're still serving, like you're welcome. Sign up. Which has kind of been the big, kind of want to talk about sort of like, we talked about it earlier with the sort of the measuring stick that veterans do when comparing services and stuff. And I've ha- I have friends who I've told to like apply and they're like, oh no, dude, I don't need it. Give it to somebody else who needs it. Right. And it's like, no, dude, like you can't compare yourself to another person and what they're going through. Like that is just not healthy. And like, whether you just need a weekend to go golf with friends or your marriage is on the outs and you're battling a problem with substances. Like it doesn't matter if you feel like you want to do it, like you should do it and that's it. And so that's kind of the biggest frustration point with growing this thing is like the self-selection that veterans inherently do. I do it a bunch. Like I did it with grad school. I was like, Oh no, maybe I shouldn't apply here. Cause like I'm not qualified enough or whatever. And it's like, go apply and let them tell you no. That's all you can do. And, exactly. and so I'm just trying to break that. That's been, that's been the hardest challenge for me is like trying to break through this wall of give it to somebody else who needs it. Right. Like, I'm good, man. It's like, dude, if you like golf, like come out and golf, dude. It's three days of free golf in big sky country, Montana. So that's been the biggest challenge with me so far. And, and, uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's good. It's I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful because like we've got 15 people coming out and like 15 people were like, I want to do this regardless of why, like they're just like, I want to do this. And so that gives me hope that like this thing can grow and grow and grow. And like eventually we'll have every veteran in the country playing golf. I mean, no, probably not, but it's good to have those goals though. Yeah. It's good to have the goals, man. And it's like, I'm excited. Like, yeah, I'm just, I'm very excited. And then, continuing to plan for the momentum building right and it because it's weird how things just kind of like escalate and momentum builds like i went on instagram live last week with this gal who i play softball with who's a fox news host for like a daytime show she wanted to talk to me for 10 minutes about pb abate and it was like it got twenty thousand views or something and i swear to god four hours after i did that you hit me up and was like hey man like you want to come on the podcast this momentum thing, like it's a real thing. And I'm just so excited for, you know, now we're going to have content to send people like, Hey, true links wear, like you donated shoes. This is what you did. Like, this is the impact that you made because like me just talking about it only goes so far. It's like, we're going to have actual content and then working with five iron to plan more events and like, hopefully blow this thing out. And like, it's just exciting. It's exciting that like these first 15 people are coming in and are, are part of this like new club and like this family and this community that I just want everybody to have. Like if you have an interest, join PB Abate. Like if it's not currently there, make it and then connect with people who share that interest with you. Join the tribe, man. No, absolutely. It's phenomenal to see what, what has already started, the, the support that you've already received and I know uh, from what we've talked about in the past, like just what you want it to grow into. I'm excited because if it wasn't for a scheduling thing this year, you'd be out there. I'd be there. But you know, there's a, I know there's yeah. going to be a second one, so we're good there. There's going to be a second one. We're hopefully planning a uh, not hopefully we're going to start the planning process for you know a charity fundraiser golf tournament. Again, things with Five Iron. Like there's going to be more events. However, with that caveat for anybody listening, like. Just because there's more events, don't put off going to an event because you'll say you'll make it later. Right. If you want to go, like, I'm telling you, it's going to change your life. Like, I didn't even like, I I didn't read books. I went to book club and the shit changed my life. It gave me some perspective to look back on, you know, my, my time in service and like how I viewed it. And 
you know, I've got a positive feeling in my heart now for the Marine Corps and the experience and the time I had that, you know, I honestly didn't have before, before PV Abate. Yeah. And it's helping you close some of those open wounds that were remaining from your time in service. I think that's probably one of the key things there, not just networking and, and trying to fix all that stuff, but it's just weird how life is, how, how people can be so confident in the decision to no longer do something. But at the end of the day, if you don't like close that chapter and like make amends with a lot of it, like you're not moving on to really anything. Right. Right. And it, you know, transitioning out is hard. I think you said it on a earlier podcast or one of your YouTube videos, but it's like you go from being in this organization where, you know, the person to your left and your right, like, they're ride or die. Yep. You know what I mean? Like you hand them the Mac 10 and they'll go yeah. slow roll on some crips with you. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you get out and it's like, uh, I guess I'm alone and unafraid out here. Like, let's go figure this out. And it's hard. It's really hard and it's challenging. And it's just like circling back to the community and tribe. It's just so important to find your community and tribe wherever it is. Even if it's not PB Abate, like I think it's just the most important thing. No. I completely agree. All right, buddy. I think that does it. Cool, man. Dude, that was that was great. I feel like I rambled at times, but I hope the listeners don't get bored with like the five minute diet. No, no, they're good. They'll love it. <laughs>